So let me get this straight. I have to get rid of all my friends. I have to hang out with you guys for at least 90 days. And I have to do a bunch of homework. Uh, I think I'm on the wrong line. This is a lot harder than it sounded. I'm not sure I can do this. Welcome to the Insanity Project. This episode was brought to you by Denial. Denial is not a river in Egypt. That never gets old. You are listening to episode six, step one, a new beginning. I remember they told me when I first got here, there's only one thing you have to change. And I'm like, oh, cool. What is that? Everything. And I'm like, what? <laughs> What does that mean? That means everything. So I had to get rid of all my friends because all my friends were drug addicts. I had to stop dating like no girls because all the girls I liked were drug addicts. And in recovery, like when you get clean, all the girls in there are drug addicts too. They're just in recovery, hopefully. So no, no girls for a year. When I look back on, yes, that made a lot of sense because I had a lot of problem with women. Uh, it was a big part of my disease. But at the time, it seemed like the worst thing ever. Like, how can I go a whole year with no woman? Like, that was just unheard of. It was, it was almost as, as hard as no drugs. <laughs> but I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. You know, at, th at that point, I was so beaten down. I was uh, at my bottom, my very last bottom, and I was pretty beat up when I got here. I was willing to do whatever it took. It was a hard pill to swallow, but one of the things they always say is, just for today, I will not do drugs. Now, when I say I won't do drugs, that means women, eating, gambling, stealing, you know, it, it was everything. Like, just for today, I'm not going to do that. And that's what I had to apply to myself. Okay, when I think of it like a whole year, I can't do that. Well, okay, how about today? Don't put myself in a situation where I will start liking a girl. And that was really hard. I almost think that that was harder than drugs. No, the drug part, stopping, created a lot of other problems of stopping. And it was hard. All of it was hard. This shit ain't easy. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. But this, this stuff is hard. Yes, there's a way to do it, but it ain't going to be easy. And here's the sad part. It's so sad because when I got here, I was pretty, pretty beaten down. So you're, at, you're asking me to do all this really hard stuff for someone who's at their brokenest. I am so broken. If you ask me today to do all that stuff, yes, I have no problem. <laughs> it's like, all right, I can do that. I can do this. I can do that. And that's something I found out about myself is that once I stay clean and apply some tools and, and learn how to cope with life differently, things are not so hard anymore. But when I first got here, everything was hard. Fuck. Everything was a big deal. You know, I was just trying to stay clean from day to day. And that's basically what it was. Sometimes I'm sitting on my hands in my living room. I can still see myself sitting on the couch with sitting on my hands, just rocking back and forth because I just want to go. I just want to get up and go. 
go use, go find somebody, go hang out in a bar. The last thing I wanted to do was ask for help because that was harder than going out and using. I decided to do 90 meetings in 90 days. All right, maybe I can do that. Every day I will go to this one meeting. Then they said, get a sponsor and work some steps. And I really have a hard time with people telling me what to do. Because I don't think they know me better than I know me. And they don't know what works for me. You know what? I can go to a meeting every day, you know, and hang out. It's the middle of summer. Beautiful outside. I'm sitting in the park at 12 o'clock going to meetings. I can do that. I can hang out. And not use drugs. It was, you know, it was pretty lonely. But I, didn't, I remember I didn't feel lonely. But I was at the same time. Not as lonely as I felt before I stopped using drugs. So, in a sense, I was starting to feel better. And physically, I was starting to feel better. Everything kind of looked different now. Like, this fog was taken away from me, and I got to see things that I wasn't able to see before. And if you talk to other addicts, they say the same thing, and it sounds like a bunch of bullshit, but it's actually pretty true. Yeah... It took me a long time to actually believe that this was going to work. I remember sitting in meetings and just thinking, this, is, this isn't going to work. And oh, what? So I'm going to this meeting. These two girls show up. It's a, it's a custom that on a, on a yearly anniversary, you will get up and take a birthday cake like you have another birthday. You made it another year. We celebrate that day. I remember these two girls and this one girl gets up and says some happy horse shit stuff about this other girl. And I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool. And then she gets up and she celebrated one year. One year of being clean. And I'm thinking, she is so full of shit. How in the world does anybody stay clean for one year? I was like, what? A, and the whole thing, I remember it. I could still feel myself feeling the anger and like, what is this crap? There's no way anybody could stay clean for a year. Come on. And I'm thinking a couple months, everything's good. And then you just go back and, and you know, you kind of fix yourself. You can just kind of, you know, take some stuff that you learned and maybe just not overdo it anymore. You know, calm down, but don't quit. That's just crazy. What a scam. I'm like, hey, you know, whatever. I got free cake. It was nice. I went to a meeting every day, and I got a 30-day token. I don't remember who gave it to me. I think, oh, I think it was this dude who kept going in and out. I think he was faking it, like, because uh, he would show up with, like, stolen items to see if I wanted to buy them. And I wasn't really sure they were stolen, but, you know, drug addict mentality thinks, dude, these are stolen. <laughs> I know they're stolen. I never called him out on it, but I never bought anything either. He knew I liked stereo gear. He would show up with stereo gear. Like, where the fuck are you getting this stereo gear? Like, you're just an addict. And then he'd ask me for some money for a burrito. <laughs> so you're, you're trying to sell me this expensive stereo gear, yet you got no money to buy a burrito. Okay. Something might not be right here. But I, I believe it was him that gave me my 30-day token. You know, when you come in, yeah, you kind of hang out with people in your same, you know, recovery rate. 
which is not a good idea because you run the risk of going out when they do because they're taking you along with them. They always say, hang with the winners. And you never want to hang out with somebody. Let's say you got three days clean and you never want to hang out with somebody with two days clean or even a week clean. You know, it's like you run the risk of, of going out with them like, hey, I got a better idea than doing this. You're like, yeah, you know what? That does sound pretty good. I don't know what happened to him. He fell off the face of the planet. And that's what happens. People come in. Some stay. Some don't. Don't know what happens to them, but I can, from being around long enough, they don't make it. And there's no real way to measure how many people come in to recovery who actually stay because it's, it's not tracked. Because that's the great part about recovery is it's anonymous. So nobody's tracking you or counting, taking numbers and figuring out databases and percentages. Unfortunately, we don't have an accurate Percentage number to show how many people come in that actually stay. But on the other hand, that's also the good thing. You you are anonymous. And you can remain anonymous for as long as you want. But I know a lot of people don't stay. But a lot of people do stay. It's really hard for me to judge who comes and goes. Some people just come in for one or two meetings and they disappear. Don't know. All I know is it worked for me. So I had to do this thing. I had to give it a try. So I made it 30 days. And I still did not have a sponsor. Because <laughs> I can do this by myself. Because I'm invincible. And I know better than anyone. And I have a huge ego. I have a huge ego with low self-esteem. And that's basically <laughs> what I was. And my ego was always enough to carry over the low self-esteem part. It always triumphed in the end. If you call all the shit and stupid crap that I did triumphing. <laughs> but anyway, here I am, 30 days. And I think it was that meeting where a couple people came up to me, but they, they told me to keep coming back. And that was actually really interesting to me because no one has ever said that. Unless they wanted something, and nobody wanted anything. And I used to wear my drug T-shirts to the meetings. You know, I used to, you know, I used to wear this tank top that said, you know, it was in the California logo, but it said cocaine. And then I used to wear this other shirt that said uh, it was an alcohol shirt of some type. I think it was like Rumpelmans or Steinlog or. Jägermeister or some bullshit like that. And I used to wear these to the meetings. And oh, and, and uh, a Better Living Through Chemistry. I love that t-shirt. That was a great shirt. And then someone came up to me like, you know, you might want to rethink your wardrobe when you come to a meeting. Like, what? It's like, I was totally clueless. I had no idea that that was not okay. And I stopped. I'm like, all right, I can do that. 30 days, 40 days, I still have no sponsor. And I used to go to this meeting. This guy would come. He had about seven or eight years at this time. And he'd state his full name. He'd stand up and say, if you're not working the steps, you're just a fucking tourist. And I'm like, fuck you, man. 
Like, I'm doing the best I can. And who's he think he is? And he'd hang, you know, he'd show the book, you know, like, you know, and he'd be like, you need to do the steps or else you're not going to get anything out of anything. You, you know, he never called us losers. He called us tourists. Um, but I'm like, oh, man, that fucking asshole. It's like I hated that guy. Gee, I wonder why. Because he was he was shoving something in my face that I wasn't willing to accept. And we used to call him the uh, NA Nazi. So I got clean in May, and then in June there is a convention, a convention of recovering addicts that meet from all over the world or all over the United States, and they come to San Diego. And I decided to go to one because I thought it would be great to have a bunch of addicts around me, and I had no idea what to expect. I had 45 days clean, and sure enough, I see that guy at the convention, and he's got like thousands of people, maybe not thousands, he's got like, you know, Tens of 20, 30 people around him, and they all want to talk to him, and he seems to be laughing, and he's got some friends, and he seems to be doing really good. And sure enough, I'm in a place where he starts spouting that stuff again. I'm like, you know what? I will show him. Fuck him. I'm going to go buy a book, and I'll show him that he doesn't know what he's talking about. So, it was that guy, Bob. He used to say his name, so Bob Meyer that got me to buy my first book, open it up, and look at step one. And when I look back at that time, I realized that Bob, the Nazi, was extremely instrumental in my recovery. He was a driving force that told me what to do, and I got so angry that I actually did it. And so whatever he did actually worked. (laughs) So... I did get a chance later on to go up to him after a few years and uh, thank him for what he did. And he had no idea who I was. And he just started laughing because he knew that the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel because that's what addicts do. I might need a sponsor because I can't do this by myself. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I found myself a sponsor. I found this guy. used to go to the same 12 o'clock meeting during the day that I used to. He had 18 months clean. I mean, 18 months was a really long time. He seemed like a god to me. And he was a really nice guy. And I asked him to be my sponsor, and he said yes. And then I just didn't do anything with that. Like, okay, I got a sponsor. Good, I'm done. Didn't realize that you have to kind of do some things with your sponsor. So it was kind of a learning process for me. And probably a learning process for him, too, because he told me later on he's never had a sponsee quite like me. And you'll find out why later on as we go through the series here. But I had a hard time calling him. I was scared. What do I say? How do you get to know somebody without the use of drugs? You just kind of hang out and talk? Like, what the fuck do you do there? I don't know what to do. How do I do that? But we did. We would go out for coffee, you know, go out for burritos, hang out. He was really big on service. The recovery system is based on volunteers. It's not a company. Nobody runs it. There's not some kind of corporate structure. So he was big on volunteering and let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. So 
uh, giving me a job, gave me something to do where I had a topic to talk about. And that worked really well for me for many, many, many years. One of those slogans is, to keep what you have, you have to give it away. I'm like, oh, okay, let's try that. And I really liked service. It gave me a way of communicating with people without drugs. So I had, I had a way to do something. And then people started seeing me like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. And I started, my face just started showing up in places. And it gave me something to do to stay clean. Instead of sitting at home on my hands, staring at the telephone like, oh my God, I gotta, you know, like, get out of here. So it gave me something to do. I think I got more out of service than I gave, which is probably the way it's supposed to work. But it gave me a way to learn how to be a person again, to give of myself freely, and to try to help others. Even though I was, you know, not much to offer, the fact that I was showing up was something. That was big for me. I never showed up for anything. Work, that's about it. But I found the pressure of the restaurant business a little overwhelming. And as we now know, so do all the other restaurant people. It's a horrible job. It is so, so hard on you mentally and physically. And the stress level is unbelievable. No wonder drug addiction and alcoholism, which in my mind is the same thing. No matter what your, you know, what your drug of choice is, a drug is a drug is a drug. You're like, well, I was on a drug. I got just, I just smoke pot every day. That's different. Like, well, no, not really. Or I just drank, or I just did this, or you know, I just shot heroin. I wasn't really an alcoholic. You're like, well, that's all the same shit. Mm-hmm. We all do it for the same reasons. But the restaurant business, that was a tough one. But that's all I did was work and go to meetings and try to recover. That was all I did, and that's all I needed to do at the time. Now, as time went on, all my other life choices that I made before I decided to get clean would come back to get me. But at this point in time, this is all I needed to do. It was scary, and it was hard. But sure enough, I made it 60 days, Then I made it 90 days. So I did the 90 and 90. I never missed one meeting. In fact, on my days off, that's all I did was go to meetings. Oh, there's a 9 o'clock meeting, there's a noon meeting, there's a 3 o'clock meeting, there's a 4 o'clock, there's a 6 (laughs) o'clock. That's all I did was go to meetings after meetings after meetings because I was safe there. I couldn't find any drugs at those meetings. And if I'm in a meeting, that means I'm not trying to go out and score drugs. So that was a win. It was a safe place to hang out. And then usually somebody, after, you know, seeing my face a lot, like, hey, you want to go get something to eat? You want to go get a cup of coffee? You want to hang out? Or somebody else would say, like, hey, dude, you want to hang out with me? Because I feel like using today. Like, yeah, let's go hang out. Or I would say the same thing to someone else. Like, hey, I feel like using, can, can we, you know, hang out after the meeting because I need somebody around me that's not using to tackle me if I decide to leave? 
We admitted that we are powerless over our addiction, that our lives have become unmanageable. Wow, that pretty much sums it up. That is my story completely. I didn't know that at the time, but after being in meetings, that's exactly what it was. I was totally powerless over my addiction, and my life was definitely unmanageable. Now, not to say that it was never unmanageable, because it was at one point. At some point, the drugs stopped working. But in the beginning, they worked very well. Not going to lie. I had some great times, and things just worked out really well. Problem is, can't keep doing that over a long period of time without ruining your fucking life. Because of all the stupid decisions I started making, they started accumulating and adding on to each other. And it was like a... You know, a snowball going down a hill just gets, at first it's nice and small and everything's great. And then after a while, you know, it just starts getting really, really big. And then you can't deal with it anymore. And that's what happened to me. Have to work my first step. How did my life become unmanageable? Why am I powerless? I was having a hard time writing. Like, how do you write? And my sponsor said, like, you know what? What you do? You just start writing. It doesn't matter if you put it into a structure. You don't have to do it like an English assignment paper. There doesn't have to be a preposition and an outline and a paragraph. It's like, just start writing. And he was right. I just, all I had to do was start writing. And as I started writing, things just started coming out. It didn't matter. It's called a, a freeform writing. Just write. Whatever's in your head, just start writing it down. It doesn't have to make sense to anyone else but me. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense to me. Sometimes the things coming out on the pen were things I haven't remembered in years or thought about or even knew. But as I'm writing, other things start coming out. It's like a layer is being released. Couldn't write fast enough from what started coming out of my head. All this stuff been built up for so long. Anger and unhappiness and all the people I'm pissed off at. I was not some spiritual guru at this point in time. I was just one angry dude pissed off at the world and why the world was pissed off at me and how it dealt me a wrong hand. And then my sponsor would always, uh, well, let's let's look at it from the, uh, how are you powerless? Like, what were you powerless over? You had no control over. And that was the hardest thing to understand because I thought I had power over everything. It was just everyone else fucking with me. But he kind of made me realize, like, well, let's look at a few areas and look at powerlessness. Maybe look it up in the dictionary. And write the definition at the top of the page. So in case you start going off on a tangent, you always know what powerless means. According to Merriam-Webster, powerless means devoid of strength or resources, or lacking the authority or capacity to act. Uh, Yeah, that describes me pretty accurately. Because I was angry at so many people. I didn't feel like I was powerless. But after writing, I realized I was extremely powerless over my addiction and the actions I took made my life unmanageable. So it kind of sounds like you're saying that it's all my fault. Is that what you're saying? It's my fault? (laughs) How can that be? 
And I adopted that form of writing from here on out. And I believe it was very good for me. Now, it's 1991. There were no computers. You know, nobody was typing away. I'm not blogging anywhere. Pen and paper. My biggest problem is reading my own writing. <laughs> so my sponsor told me, when you're doing this, make sure you could read it because you are going to be reading this back to me. And I'm like, all right, sure, no problem. And I look at my writing and it is definitely chicken scratch 101. But I get the general gist of it and I was able to do it. And then I went on to step two. And then step three and step four, I did all 12 steps. And I'm going to talk about those, like what I did for each step, me personally, because everybody does them different. And every sponsor tells their sponsee to do them differently. So when I said my sponsor told me that I am not like any sponsee he has ever had before, I now know why, because I am kind of a perfectionist. And I have a little bit of OCD. So I figure this is my chance. I might as well put in 100%. So if I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. Not just haphazardly or kind of sort of or just skid by. And I was like that in school too. Even though I was a drug addict in high school, I came out with a 3.6 grade average. Because I did not want to be a failure. I needed to succeed in the things that I wanted or felt that was important to me. Because it felt like this was the last straw. This, this was my only chance. So I better do it good because I don't want to end up as a failure or, you know, dead. <laughs> so I'm going to put all of my OCD and all of my energy into this thing because this is the last straw. So when it came to doing steps, of course, you know, got to do it 110%. I'm no slacker. Now, I'm not going to show you that I'm a loser in my mind. That's what a loser is. Or a slacker, somebody who doesn't put in 110%. So when he was telling me how to do steps, I was kind of telling him how I wanted the steps to be done. And not just like, okay, let's, you know, write a couple paragraphs and move on to the next step. No, we're going to go deep into this. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to do 50 pages of this shit. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was pretty insane. Um, but I did put in 110% to my steps. When we get to step four and step seven, yeah, I pretty much told him what I wanted to do. And I made him work me really hard. But until then, I'm on step one. And he starts to figure out my personality. But that's the personality that also wants to do service. I start moving up the service chain, you know, and once I get six months, hey, I can answer phones at the hotline and, and help people. And it's a four-hour shift. And I can just hang out with other addicts, usually just one other one, or none, or people just kind of drop by. But either way, I got to do something. You know, I look back at that time and just grateful that I didn't go out and use, that I had enough tools and people around me to help me. I mean, I'm not saying I was did everything perfect, because I didn't. I always got myself in the way of doing things 
And that continued in recovery. It doesn't just go away. I had to learn how to change it. But I was constantly putting myself in harm's way to sabotage myself. And that was a really hard thing to overcome or even to know or examine that, wow, wait, I kind of do that, don't I? It's easier if I sabotage something than, than to actually do it. I was big on never completing anything. Really great intentions in the beginning, and then just never following through because the work is too hard. I excelled in the beginning and in the middle, and then just kind of walked away at the end. That was a real pattern for me. But for some reason, I felt like recovery could have been different. I can do this. And it was probably because my life was so unmanageable that I had nothing to lose because I really thought I was going to die. So if I don't do this, that's what will happen to me. So I got to do the best that I can. And yes, it's not perfect, and, but that's okay. As long as I don't use. You know, they say, you can do anything you want as long as you don't use. And you're willing to pay the consequences for it. <laughs> Play the tape through is a common thing. Play the tape. You know, nobody knows what tape is anymore, but... The saying basically comes from, don't just think about it in the beginning. Think about all the things that you have to do all the way to the end. And what does that look like? Is that where you want to be? Tape was a thing when we were younger, so it was play the tape all the way through. It's 60 days. I believe I completed step one for my sponsor to listen to. That poor guy. <laughs> uh, uh, what a bunch of rambling bullshit that was and here's the funny part i still have all my steps the first time i ran through the steps i have them all i never burned them or buried them or ripped them into tiny shreds or you know threw some chicken feathers on them and and uh, you know threw them in the creek or none of that crap because my sponsor says Hey, you know, I you hear about people doing that and don't do any of that because you're going to need all this shit. So everything you write down, you are going to need later on. And I still have it. And I'm actually looking through it right now. I was pretty psychotic. Can't believe I'm the same person. I have no idea who that person is that I'm reading someone's first step with. Like, wow. He was extremely screwed up and confused and sad. And that's the first thing my wife says is, I can't believe that. It's like, I don't know who that person was. Like, I don't think I would like that person. And I'm like, I know you would not like that person. I don't like that person. And I have a feeling he wouldn't like you either. And then she always says, I have no idea why you're still alive. And I look at her and say, me neither. I really don't. There's a saying that used to go around. I'm not sure if it's still a thing, but uh, it was, if you can remember the 80s, you weren't there. <laughs> yep. And writing was very tough. To, uh, like, what? What, did I, what did I, was that when? What? I just have years that are just gone. <laughs> it's too funny. 
one of the first things my sponsor gave me was uh, an IP, which is an information pamphlet. Um, I think it's number seven. It's a checklist, and the front of it says, am I an addict? And you open it up, and it has all these questions in it with checkboxes. And if you check them off, then maybe you need to look at some of those things, and maybe you are a drug addict. <laughs> sure enough, I think I checked off every single one, except for maybe one or two, you know? So I'm thinking I, I aced that test, because I got like a 98. Uh, but on the other hand, yeah. I am a classic drug addict. So here, here's some examples. Have you ever thought you couldn't fit in or have a good time without the use of drugs? Well, yeah. Have you ever substituted one drug for another, thinking that one particular drug was your problem? Have you ever used drugs because of emotional pain or stress? Have you ever lied about what or how much you use? All the fucking time. Have you ever been to a jail hospital, or a drug rehab center because of your drug use. Um, yeah, in fact, just about all those times, that's what it was about. Do you feel like you can't live without drugs? And that one was very eye-opening. Guess what? You may be a drug addict. Then there were some other ones in there. Do you feel suicidal? Is your life full of despair? Do you feel there's no way out? Do you ever wake up and think, how in the hell did I get here? Like, yes, 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 and yes. The fact that I continue to do it until something horrible happened is no way to go through life. I didn't know any other way to go through life. I thought the world was just wrong, and I was a victim. I always felt like a victim. When I am laughing at the things I did, I am laughing at myself and the absurdity of the insanity I lived with for so many years. I'm not laughing at drugs or drug use or drug addicts. I'm always laughing at me. The fact that I survived and can tell the stories of my insanity seems like a gift and should be shared. I'm not the worst drug addict in the world. You know, I don't have the worst stories. I didn't kill anyone. I didn't spend long stretches of time in, in, the, in jail or in prison. And I definitely wasn't a member of Motley Crue. But what I do have is a series of stories and events that probably is similar to a lot of people who are struggling with drug abuse. I'm just a guy who struggled with drug addiction and sought recovery. And I want to tell those stories. I didn't want this podcast to be about, you know, glowing spirituality and always doing the right thing. I didn't meet the Dalai Lama and achieve total consciousness. So I got that going for me. It is not going to be like that. This is not a podcast like that. Yes, I'm spiritual, but my spirituality is a personal thing. It is not to tell, <laughs> tell other people how to do their spirituality. All I'm going to do is tell my stories. So my clean date is May 18th, 1991. And that first year of recovery was very difficult for me. I managed to do four steps, well, almost four steps in my first year. I didn't quite get through my fourth step in my first year, but soon after. And everything was new. God, <laughs> all these new experiences, new feelings, 
things to be scared of. <laughs> you know, I never looked at myself as being a person who is scared of everything, but I soon realized that I was living in fear most of my life, just hiding behind this giant wall of ego. I remember people telling me, like, you just need to use some willpower, you know, just, just stop it, you know, come on. If only it was as easy as just say no, because it ain't, it ain't that easy. There's so much going on. <laughs> it's like a David Lynch movie in here. <laughs> Nothing is what it seems. I swear to God, I am more complex than I ever thought I ever was. Like, who is this person? Oh my God. And so old timers would come up to me and, and talk to me and I would ask them questions and they would give me direction or just talk to me in general. I'll never forget this one. Ugh, God. Like, you know, as soon as you start working the steps, you will feel better. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I feel everything and it is not good. And he says, Exactly. You are now learning how to feel. You're feeling better. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like, fucking A. You know, and, and then again, of course, uh, yeah, he was right. I was learning how to feel. Feeling is a thing that humans do, and they didn't know how to feel anything except, you know, pain, misery. Ugh. And the thought of asking someone for help was very foreign to me. I was used to doing everything myself. I never needed help from anybody. Yeah, I just sound like a Beatles song, didn't I? So I was always unsure that this was going to work. I thought for sure somewhere down the line it would fail. I would fail. And I kept all my paraphernalia in a box. You know, which, which is something you shouldn't probably do. But I had all my drug paraphernalia, and I even had so my, my last day using. So I live in San Diego. I went to a San Diego Padres game. And I went with a friend who, you know, guess, uh, yeah, he was a drug addict too. Okay. I had this pair of binoculars, because you can't bring in booze into, you know, the stadium. They, they, they frown on that. But through the years, I have always found ways to bring in my drugs and my booze into any event that I wanted. I got tons of stories of that. But anyway, I had this pair of fake binoculars, and you undo the tops, and they're hollow on the inside, so you could pour liquid in there. So I had two of these giant binoculars, you know, really long tubes, filled with Bacardi 151. And I am good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, but you know, we're drug addicts, so I don't want to pay for parking. What is that, like five bucks? Oh, what a fucking ripoff. So why don't we go park across the creek in some other parking lot that no one is there on the weekend, and we'll cross the creek and climb up and into the, in, you know, walk across the parking lot in the stadium and go to our seats. So I'm trying to cross the creek, and yeah. I'm kind of buzzed and I hit a rock and I slip and I fall. And now I am drenched with crick water. <laughs> my booze is still intact because it has a, you know, it's a water seal cap on it. So it's good. But all my money, my smokes, everything is just my ticket. Everything is just wasted. So, 
So my buddy's laughing, and I'm just, you know, I got, you know, it smells like a creek, you know, with moss and shit all over me. We're climbing up out of the creek and walking across the parking lot. And like, you know, but that wasn't important because it was more important to go to a baseball game and get hammered because you just go buy a Coke and put booze in it, and you got a, you know, Cardi and Coke. How cool is that? To get back to my story is I still had those binoculars and I believe they still had some 151 in them. And so those were in there, all my, uh, you know, my cocaine paraphernalia. Um, I stopped smoking pot a long time ago because it made me paranoid. But I had all my other drug paraphernalia in a box just in case because I didn't trust myself and I didn't trust this this shit, like, you know, this is impossible for people to stay clean. You know, I'm just doing it to try and make my life better. I am powerless over people, places, and things. The only thing I can fix is me. And that was a really hard concept to grasp. How could it be my fault? Come on, dude. It's just people fucking with me, man. And I need to tell you this stuff so you'll understand the things that I did. And now it will all make sense. <laughs> yeah, it made sense, all right. <laughs> uh, my sponsor looked at me like, uh, yeah, I don't think all these people did these things to you, man. Uh, I think it's you. I think you are the root of your problem. Ugh. And that was the beginning of the cure for the Insanity Project. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments or suggestions, I would love to hear from you. I can be found at theinsanityproject.com. If you like the show, please hit the follow button. Caddyshack, really? You're quoting Caddyshack. Yeah, Caddyshack. The Dalai Lama and Total Consciousness? Hey, just because it was in a movie doesn't mean it's not true. Come on. It's Caddyshack.